0: Good morning. (laughs) You guys were all in the dark. I couldn't see them. Now there's people here. It's awesome. So sometimes for me, and maybe it's for you, I don't know. Could be, could not be. When I cross a familiar passage, right, of Scripture, or I hear someone begin to teach on one, my brain can sadly sometimes go into autopilot, Right? And the best way to describe this brain autopilot is you've just driven home and you get out of your car um, and apparently you're in England. Um, you get out of your car. So For some of you, that's like, yeah, you're like, wait. I did it in the first service and I was like, wait, where am I going? I don't get out that way. I'll be in the passenger seat. But you get out of your car, right? And the thing is, is that you don't remember any lights. You don't remember switching lanes. You don't remember getting on the freeway. You don't remember making that right-hand turn The drive's a complete blur, but yet you arrived home safely, right? It's when your brain kicks into this thing called this automatic energy safe mode, right? You're present, but not really. It's that thing what happens is when I know a passage and I've read it a ton of times and I basically can recite it, right? Someone starts talking, they're like, Noah, and then instantly my brain's like, okay, ark, build, animals, two, rain, flood, done. Got it, thanks, guy. Right, or they go, Jonah, and you're like, okay, yeah, go preach, run, fish, puke, turn around. Right, I know the story, autopilot, engaged. And I remember at school... In math, the teacher comes up and starts talking about stuff in the book and goes, hey, all the answers are in the back of the book. And as a student, you're like, (laughs) wait, what did they just say? Did they just say I'm passing this class? I think that's what they just said. The thing is, I'm going, wait, all the answers? Like, wow, that's crazy. And the teacher proceeds to say, look it, the answers are there for you to check your work. To see if you understand and you can bring the problem to its correct end. Showing how you arrived is the main part, right? The answer allows you to check the process. So when I come to these passages now, it's not how well I know the passage, the teaching, but it's how well am I actually living it out daily. There's an action element to every single one of these, not just a right answer and I move on. So today we're going to look at one of those familiar stories, It's found in Luke 10, all right? And for some of you, instantly just went, good Samaritan, right? And you're about ready to push the button. Don't do it, okay? No autopilot today. We're gonna start in Luke 10, um, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the thing is, everywhere Jesus went, The crowds followed, right? What is the teacher going to say? What is he going to do? Some of them wanted to learn. Some needed healing. Some came for the excitement, the hype, right? Some came for the free lunch. But some came questioning his teaching, questioning his authority, right? Because it put into question their own. And it says, an expert of the law stood up. This religious scholar, lawyer, expert in the law of Moses stands up, and to become an expert, right, the scribes and their education would have had large sections and possibly all of the Torah memorized by heart, right? That's the first five books of your Bible. If you take your Bible and you look at that, you're like, in this Bible here, it's 190 pages in itty-bitty-bitty-bitty font. That's crazy, Right? (laughs) What's the word count on that? I can't even pronounce half the words in the first five books of the Bible, much less know them all by heart. But back then, this oral tradition, passing on reading, teachings, the discipline of memorization was very different than from today. Right, for me, memorization is hard. I don't know if it is for you, but for me, it's hard, right? I'll be at the store and I'll be checking out and the clerk will be like, hey, do you have an awards account? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. I think my wife has one. And like, okay, just type in her number. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you can do that. 209, right? Most of you guys got that in the number, right? And you're going, okay, I got, I got three digits of the nine. I got six left. You know, here I go. I don't, and they're like, you don't know your wife's number, And you? are like, look, I have Siri for that, right? She's my memory, right? Siri can get me directions to home. Siri reminds me to brush my teeth when I go to bed. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. I, <laughs> you're all like, oh, that's really weird. But the thing is, the best that I've done in memorization, in any kind of volume or size like this, and I'm not proud of this, right? But the memory happened to me by force. Somewhere up here in the brain, locked away, until it's triggered by a tune are the lyrics to practically every 70s classic rock song. Maybe a little bit of 60s, maybe a little bit of 80s, all because I was locked in the car with my parents, driving the car, listening to their radio, and just listening to them sing these songs over and over and over again. And it's just the tune happens, and the lyrics come out, and I'm like, where did that come from? I didn't even know I knew that, right? The thing is, is that the these lyrics, like a list of all these lyrics, don't even compare at all to the memory that the lawyer would put together in this law of Moses. So this expert of the law stands up and it says to test Jesus. Maybe he's exhausted the competition. He's won all the spiritual debates and he wants to go against this new rabbi in town. But his motives are immediately in question, right? Is he genuinely seeking Jesus' answer So he knows what to do, to believe, because it says to test. He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the question here is an important one. In fact, it's the most important question that any person can ever ask. How do I enter the kingdom of God, inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He didn't just throw out an answer, right? He asks some questions of his own to draw this lawyer deeper into the conversation. You know, you're the expert, right? You've spent your whole life studying the law. You tell me. You know, what do the scriptures say? How do you read it? It doesn't say if this guy right there is caught off guard, if he was ready, and he's like, wow, <laughs> Jesus just threw the counter question. Okay, question the question with a question. Oh... Uh, Now it's back to me to answer my original question. But it goes on and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes the law and he divides it into two categories. He says, look, at the relationship with God and then the relationship with man. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Jesus replies and says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And can you see this exchange, right? You got the crowd, you got Jesus there. This lawyer stands up, right? And he's like, question. Then Jesus is over here and he's like, boom, hits the counter question. The crowd's like, woo, woo, look at this. Then the lawyer turns around, comes back and he gives back an answer. And they're like, man, this guy's good. Whoa, what's he gonna do, right? This is happening. And then Jesus drops correct. Ding, ding, ding. Do this and you will live. And suddenly Jesus is no longer on trial. The lawyer is. The lawyer is told by Jesus that he only has to do what he knew all along that he should do. He answered his own question. And Jesus both commends him and convicts the man. He has to examine himself. He has to be honest here, right? Implications of the law, perfectly love God and love my neighbor as myself. I'm not capable of that standard. Here he had the opportunity, right, to admit his inability to do that completely and ask Jesus, how? How do I do this? Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Right, did you catch that? Wanting to justify himself. The writer Luke, to me, adds this word to give us the tone of this clarifying question of who. We get the feeling, the emotion, you can hear it, right? We don't get it in our day-to-day anymore with texting. You get a text and you're like, how are they saying this? Uh, Is it sad? Is it sarcastic? Are they happy? It's all caps. Are they yelling at me? I don't know. You know, read this. What do you think they're saying? And we're trying to figure it out because we can't figure out the tone. But justification here, like the reality to justify, it's a great word picture, right? It's to show, to prove to be right. He wanted to justify himself. So the lawyer is attempting to recover from this conversation. Hold up, Jesus. Hold up, hold up, hold up. It's not that simple, right? How do I, how do I, def- how do I define my neighbor? Right? How far is my love supposed to extend? Who do I have to love? And who, who could I not love? Who? And he's hoping now to draw Jesus more into this debate over words and definitions. And it's crazy. He doesn't question the first part, right? Love God with everything. He just moves on from that part. Like, I'm good, right? I obey the law somewhat, you know. I've memorized it. I teach it. You know, there must be some extra credit in heaven for that, right? But this love neighbor as self, like, <laughs> I don't want to do more work than's needed. I don't want to go above and beyond. I don't want to be inconvenienced. So Jesus, can we define that a little better, right? Can we, it's a little vague, it's kind of cloudy, this neighbor, you know, let's zero in on this who, right? Who actually is my, my neighbor? Because I got a picture in my head of who is and who is not. I've taken good care, loved my neighbors, those fellow Jews, right? My friends, the people who live by me, who think like me, who look like me, who act like me. So Jesus, can you just give me another? You're correct. Those are your neighbors. Love only those people. And then I can draw a box around my personal neighborhood and it'll be on my way. I can put the people in I want and I can be done. And we do the same thing sometimes, don't we? Instead of just doing what we know is right, we try to justify our actions and our disobedience. But who, neighbor, it wasn't up for personal interpretation. It wasn't based on a checklist of people. And Jesus knows the human condition, the heart of man, right? Only our relationships or proximity easy to love, people who look like me, same status, same background, pull out the checklist. And Jesus could have easily, right here, looked at the lawyer and said, Mr. Lawyer, sir, buddy, pal, here's the deal. Everyone is who? Everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone. Do you want me to define that in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Klingon? Everyone is everyone. Mic drop. Jesus walks off. Story done. But Jesus wants to take him and the crowd on a self-evaluation so they can see clearly and answer for themselves the who. Jesus' reply to the question of who was about to expand the neighborhood. Well beyond what the lawyer's view of love was and is with others. Because the borderlines needed changing. So Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And if you think, this is such an abrupt beginning to story time, right? Jesus begins the story, and the crowd's like, Honey, cover the children's ears. What are they saying? Jesus, what kind of story is this? Right? This doesn't sound neighborly at all. And the thing that's interesting is Jesus, when he says, this, says, A man. He doesn't connect him to anyone. It's key because the crowd would have aligned with their team from the beginning. Oh, was he a Jew? Oh, well, then that, you know, if he was a Samaritan, oh, well, then that. Doesn't say who he is. And his audience would have known the road. It was this windy mountainous road that given its narrow twists and turns and isolated terrain, people on this road were easy targets for bandits and opportunities to hide and ambush and escape. And this man is attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes, beaten and left half dead. So the reality is without clothing and basically without speech, half dead. The fallen man's identity is not easily determined by anyone passing by. And he's left helpless and vulnerable in a hostile territory. Jesus goes on and says, A priest happened to be going down the same road. And I imagine the crowd right there, right? Woohoo! Priest, a symbol of hope, right? The servant of God, the one who lifts the people up before God. Happened to be going down the same road? <laughs> what are the chances? This is great. And this is happening. Right? And it's probably the reality is he's returning from his duties from the temple and heading back to Jericho. And now I don't know if Jesus in that hit pause right there. Did the dramatic pause. If there was a commercial break. I don't know. But then Jesus goes on and says, when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. And hope is short lived. Right? Now the crowd's like going, (laughs) the story's just getting worse. He goes on and says to a Levite, when he came to the place, another upstanding figure of their culture, right? This religious status, a temple official. Okay, our hopes arrive. Woo! Saw him, and passed by on the other side, and realized that this man would have not been easy to avoid. At some points, this road becomes so narrow that passersbyers would literally have to step over. To get by or climb, right? <laughs> climb on the cliff, get out the repelling gear to get around. Neither of these likely heroes stopped to help. And we're not told why. We can make a list of excuses, the reasons. The crowd and the lawyer probably did. Maybe it was to avoid contamination, right? Touching a dead man would make them ritually unclean. Maybe they were afraid of getting jumped. The guys might have been still hiding out. I don't know. Maybe they looked at him and said, "Yeah, maybe he deserves it," you know, or maybe they're too busy. Like, oh, I got, I got things, you know. I, I, <laughs> sorry. Good luck. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But for whatever reason, right, the spiritual leaders, the best of the good guys, didn't show compassion to the injured man. I was thinking, this would make a terrible Avengers movie, right? You got someone down and out. We'll call him me. Be <laughs> are like, Ugh, you know. And then, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of Avengers, so you can pick whatever one you want. But let's just say Iron Man comes down. He's there, and he's like, oh, man, you look rough. Uh, I would love to help, but I've got dinner with Penny. got to go. Off he goes. Then we'll grab another one. We'll grab Captain America. <laughs> That's, there's a resemblance there. Uh, He shows up, right? He's like, oh, man, Uh, uh, I don't want to get dirty. Look at this suit. I got to go. Right? And off he goes. All we know is that they saw the man and they intentionally avoided. Then Jesus goes on and says, but a Samaritan as he traveled. Now realize our crowd, right, is predominantly Jewish, probably. And they're like, wait, wait, what did, what did Jesus just say? Who, who? Wait, did he say Samaritan? Oh no, if he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story, right, I'm out of here. Not those people. Not them. They're not capable. No way. And just for reference, if you don't know the history, the Samaritan is a member of an ethnic group the Jews hated. And the feeling really was mutual. And this animosity happened for centuries, right, back and forth. And the Jews in Jesus' day would travel, travel entirely around areas of Samaria because they didn't even want to go in the region to avoid them. You know, pff, not going through that neighborhood, that zip code, not May. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Right? The crowd. <laughs> story time's over. This is the worst story I've ever heard. Right? Can you imagine in our day, this would have been the angry tweets, the angry posts, the angry comments, right? Would have blown up here. Jesus said, what? Samaritan did this? No way. Unfollow. I'm out. But the Samaritan saw him, took pity, compassion on the stranger. Remember the man, there's no indication of who he is at all, right? He could have been a priest, he could have been a scribe, a Pharisee, a villager, a Jew, a Samaritan. But to the Samaritan, it didn't matter. He was a human being made in the image of God who desperately needed help. And notice the Samaritan doesn't stop and ask God, go to prayer, and who is my neighbor? He sees him And he takes action. And what's crazy is if you go back one chapter in your Bible to chapter 9 in Luke, there's a story of an entire Samaritan village rejecting Jesus. This is just right before this story. Jesus sends out some messengers to this village and it says, but the people there did not welcome him. And the disciples, James and John, saw this and they said, Lord, You want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Little Sodom and Gomorrah action here? They're angry. They're like, fry them, right? You don't treat Jesus that way. Then it says that Jesus rebukes his disciples. He says, no, you know what? And they go to a different village. And then a chapter later, Jesus makes the Samaritan, the group that just rejected him. The ungodly folk, right? (laughs) The unneighborly folk makes them the hero of the neighborly story. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan didn't just see the guy and be like, You okay? Right? Didn't get out a stick. (laughs) You're right. He went to him. He gets down with him. He gets dirty. He gets messy. He steps into the situation. He bandages his wounds. He's using his own provisions. He's pouring on, if you read it, not just dabbing. He's giving generously here. He puts him on his own animal. He walks beside. And it says it takes him all the way to an inn and takes care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Do you catch that? the next day, right? He didn't just get there and push him off the donkey and be like, good luck, as far as I go. Done too much already. I've got other things to do. He stayed with him all night, caring for him. Hey, I'm here, right? He sets his agenda aside, says when I return, which means he was probably going somewhere, But he puts that on pause. You are of most importance right now. Gives a couple days wages of his own money. Then obligating himself to more if needed. To nurse this guy back to health. To complete restoration. And then he promises to return Right. This is not minimal care. What's the least I can do? This is maximum diving all in with everything for the cause of another. This is what love looks like. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And Jesus finishes, he allows the lawyer and the crowd to answer. Right? It's not a trick question. You have three choices. And they're like, I don't know, the priest, the lever. Right? It was obvious what the answer was. And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And you can hear the tone in the response, right? This expert of the law is struggling to even say that. He can't even bring himself to say who. All he can say is the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even say Samaritan, just the one. And then Jesus told him to go and do likewise. In demonstrating what it meant to be a good neighbor, right, the Samaritan defined the meaning of love. Love doesn't look away. And it doesn't walk away. It involves itself. It inconveniences itself. It indebts itself. And this story is so personal to me because I stand here today because of some good Samaritans. People who saw me on the road of life, right? Right? And they didn't look away. They didn't pass by the other side. They didn't see this new wave, punk, goth, high school mess of a kid. Right? With his eyeliner and his anger at God and his anger at church and Christians and his association with the opposing religion. It didn't matter to them what I looked like. That my views were different, that I acted different. They saw me as created in the image of God. And they displayed the love of Christ towards me. They took me in just as I am. They loved me as is. In this small conservative Baptist church, to give you a visual, about a hundred people, right? Pastor would pull out the accordion every service and sing the old rugged cross with the accordion. Give you a little, take that visual, take the punk rock kid and put the accordion in front, right? And he would come out and he would do that, right? They adopted me as their own. I was on every prayer chain of the church. They got involved in my life. They gave of their time, their money, inviting me to dinners, events, right? They went out of their way to help me all hours of the day and night. They showed up to things in my life cheering me on. And in watching them, in watching them, I saw him. And over time, I asked that same most important question the lawyer did. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And eventually, I came to saving faith in Jesus because they didn't pass me by. They didn't avoid me. They didn't pass judgment. They didn't ask who Jesus is actually my neighbor because surely God... This kid, this mess, this, look at him. He's nothing like us. We cross the street when he comes this way. No. I was baptized there. I began volunteering there. They even got me a job at a local shop down the street where some of them worked. Eventually, they sent me off to Bible college so I could learn more about this love, this Jesus. They even helped with the cost They saw me. They came down to me. They got messy. They took me off the road. They brought me to their inn. They stayed with me, restored me to full physical and spiritual health. Giving of their time and resources and prayerfully sent me off. One of the first years after years of ministry when I came to Quail, one of the members from this church who sat second row, the youth group sat in the front row, you know, keep them in line, right? sat in the second row. I'm sure she never even saw the pastor for all the months I was there because of my hair. She found me, did a little internet search. She calls the office here. I pick up the phone, and she's like, is this Tim Sovinik, you know, from Arizona? And I'm like, used to attend back in 1988. Give you a reference. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, hi, wow. How are you? She stops, and she goes, I've been praying for you every single day faithfully since God brought you to us. Every single day, tell me all the things that God has done. I'm in my office. Good thing nobody walked in. I'm a mess, bawling but rejoicing in all the things that God had done. God's love had expanded their neighborhood to the ones on the side of the road of life, to the physically in need, to the spiritually in need, to the hurting, to the afflicted, to the needy, to the marginalized, to the oppressed, to the Tim of this world. For I was a stranger that they treat it as something more. Love doesn't look away. Right? It doesn't walk away. It involves itself. It inconveniences itself. It indebts itself. Let us be ready and willing to go and do likewise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, every time reflecting, I'm amazed. Ultimately, the fact that you saw a mess in God that you stepped down and stepped into our lives, God, and loved us. And I'm so grateful for that. And every time I read, for God so loved the world, that's a big zip code. That means everybody. I'm so grateful that you loved me and that people who loved you didn't walk past, God, but stepped into my life. And just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.